And as we jump into Luke this morning, I want to ask a question. And the question is, how's your heart? How is your heart? You know, whenever you go to the doctors for your annual physical, they're going to they're going to ask you all sorts of health history. You're going to answer questions about your family. You're going to answer questions about your mom's side, your dad's side. You're going to answer questions about your medical history. You're going to answer, they're going to, you know, check your vitals and all of that stuff. And they're going to kind of see how you're doing, check in on you, make sure you're kind of good, that there's nothing in your blood work that should trigger more appointments and so forth. And if you're sick, you go to the doctor and they, you know, once again, check your vitals all of that stuff, and they try to diagnose, do you have a viral or a bacterial infection, something like that. They might give you an antibiotic or some albuterol or whatnot and send you off. A couple years ago, I was having these weird like heart things going on where my heart would like stop and go like this really fast and freaked me out. So I called the, the doctor, saw a cardiologist, and they gave me this patch thing to wear. They sent it to me in the mail, and you stuck it over your heart, and it had an app on my phone, and every time my heart did one of those weird flutter palpitation things, I would have to push the button that was on the the patch and then record the symptoms on my phone. And then they would take a read of all of this stuff and tell me what's going on with my heart. Well, all that stuff was to diagnose and treat me, and what Jesus is doing in this last part of the sermon is he's asking us to, to put on the patch, as it were, to, to look inside, to take note of what's going on in our hearts and to evaluate our lives and then to turn towards him. He's asking us to see, obviously, not how we're physically doing, but how are we spiritually doing. And he wants us to diagnose our hearts. He's inviting us to diagnose our hearts condition before him. Not all alone, but before him. So this morning, could you turn in your Bibles to Luke 6? We're going to finish the Sermon on the Plain this morning. We'll begin in verse 43, sorry, and we'll read through verse 49. God's Word says, and this is Jesus talking, and he says, a good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, A bad tree doesn't produce good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes or grapes picked from a bramble bush. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart, for his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on a rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against that house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it. And immediately it collapsed, and the destruction of that house was great. This is the word of the Lord. We'll have two simple points as we work through our text this morning that kind of correspond with the two things that Jesus is talking about, fruit and foundation. 
And these will serve as a guide for our heart's diagnosis. Jesus begins the passage with a pretty obvious statement. Nothing, nothing revolutionary here. And this is an agrarian society. They would have completely understood what Jesus is saying. Is that the first thing he wants us to do is to observe our lives by the fruit of our lives. He starts by saying right at the beginning, a good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. And let's remember, church family, that what we're looking at here is the conclusion to a sermon. So we're, we're looking at, we've looked at the Sermon on the Plain the past four weeks. This section is the concluding, Jesus is driving home his points to his audience as they're sitting before him. Jesus, this is his first major teaching in the Gospel of Luke, and he's laying out for the hearers what the good life is, what the happy life is, what the meaningful life is in light of all of eternity. And he's spelling out for people, for the people who came to him, what following him actually looks like. And these are people with various levels of proximities to Jesus, if you might remember. You got the apostles there. These were the hand-picked eyewitnesses to all of the things that Jesus would do in his ministry. These were guys completely bought in, right? They left everything to follow Jesus. Then there are disciples there. These are people that, that they're committed to the ways of Jesus. They're, they're, they're bought in. They believe in him and love him. There's the curious. The curious are there, and they're they're like, what's Jesus going to do? He's doing all of these crazy healings. Got, you know, he's healing people on the Sabbath. He's making the religious people ticked off. And they're there. They want to see what's going to happen. They're curious about what he has to say. And then you have the skeptical. We can assume that the skeptical are in the crowd too. Like, who is this guy? And the religious majority in the time would have been included in this crowd. And he tells all these people, after he shares all of this information about what the good life is, about following him, he says that you actually know a follower by its fruit, because you know a tree by its fruit. Apple picking is one of my favorite of the New England activities in the fall. There's something about, like, crisp air, crisp apple. I like my apples kind of more towards tart and you know, there's just something about like the views and just everything about it. We, I love it. But when you go to an apple orchard, like you know it's an apple tree because there's apples on it, right? It's not hard. And the place we go grows peaches and grapes and blueberries and things like that. And so we don't like wander in to the orchard and go, son of a gun, there's no apples here. I thought no, that's a blueberry bush. We wouldn't do that. Like we can tell which trees are the apple trees because they have apples on them. You don't have to be educated. You don't have to have a PhD in horticulture. You don't need to be an adult. You can tell what an apple tree is because it has apples on it. Blueberries grow blueberry, blueberry bushes grow blueberry bushes, right? Grapevines go grapes, peach trees go peaches, durian trees grow nasty crap. And um, if you don't know what they are, buy one. Um, cut it open, you'll understand. And, but anyways, Jesus says, 
Figs grow on fig trees. They don't grow on brambles. All you have to do is look at it and you know what kind of tree it is. And if you're in the crowd, you're like really latching on to this. This is easy stuff from Jesus so far. Jesus is like, look, a good tree has good fruit. Look at your life. Are you a good tree or not? A bad tree, bad fruit. Okay, and if you're sitting there, you're thinking, man, this is so encouraging because I go to church. I even tithe. I teach my kids Bible verses. Like, I must be a good tree. But then Jesus goes a step further. And he applies it to every person there in verse 45. It says, a good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. And then he says this, for his mouth speaks from the overflow of his heart. And now things have gotten a little bit real. Because what Jesus is essentially saying is that if you want to know how your heart's doing, if you want to know what kind of tree you are, the first place you should probably look is your mouth. How's your mouth? Like the words that come out of your mouth. Because the words that come out of your mouth aren't like disconnected, one-off statements, but they're indications of how, about how your heart's doing. Our words matter. If you want to know whether you're a good tree or not, look at your words. Start there. Our words are windows into who we worship and who we are. They're windows into our heart's condition. If we worked backwards through this sermon, and if you have your Bible open, um, you could kind of flip your pages. You can see how much of Jesus' sermon is related to our speech. Verse 23, he says, he says we're, we're to rejoice in suffering when we're hated. That means we're supposed to have verbal proclamations of joy because we're suffering for Jesus, because of the reward we get from God. Are we rejoicing or are we complaining? Verse 28, Jesus calls us to bless. That means call down God's favor, if you remember, upon the people who persecute us. And then he calls us to pray for the people who persecute us. Our words, call down God's favor, pray for the people who persecute us. And then in verse 37, we heard Elliot last week explain this. Jesus calls us not to judge others and he calls us not to condemn others. He calls us not to be judgy people. And he calls us to forgive others. Literally statements related to our speech. Our words are windows into our hearts' conditions. And if we expanded this out to the whole Bible, we'd see Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. James, the brother of Jesus, says, Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be. Romans, speaking about faith, says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All things about our words. We can go on. Um, Philippians 2, 14 and 15 says, 
Paul writes, do everything without complaining or arguing. Every parent's favorite verse in the Bible. Um, So that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. And then finally, Philippians 4, 4 and 5, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness, some translations say reasonableness, some say gentleness, be known to everyone. The Lord is near. What kind of fruit are you? This is just a small sampling of verses about the tongue and words of the Bible. And what I want us to do is I want us to put on the heart patch and ask of our own hearts, is my speech an indication that God is near, that he is close? How are your words? Are you grumbling and arguing all the time? Click. Are you living life like God is near? Click. Are you blessing those who curse you? Maybe not. Click. Are you angry and chewing out your kids all the time? Are you passive aggressive with comments you make to your spouse? Or are you living graciously with them? Are you judgy? Quick to point out the sins of another people, but fail to see the log in our own eye. Are you open to correction or do you get defensive? Are you weeping over the injustice of the world or do you just turn a blind eye to pain and insulate yourself from it? Because what Jesus is saying is that our speech, our words, can be the first step in diagnosing our hearts. What kind of tree are you? Paul would, in Galatians, would list the fruit of the Spirit, and he would say, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Jesus is inviting us, friends, to diagnose our hearts before him, to look at the fruit of our lives, the fruit of our words and the fruit of our actions and ask, how am I doing? How's my heart? We need to be honest about that truth. And this need not be a scary thing to do because coming at home to yourself and about your heart's conditions can be really scary But Jesus is inviting us to do this before him, under his good and gracious gaze. He's calling you to bring these things forward. So we observe and we confess the fruit of our lives, whatever it is. And now we get to our second point, a foundation. Jesus calls us to observe, confess. He's called called the crowd to do that. And then he asks them a question right in verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? Jesus says that the whole life is about not just saying you believe in him, but actually following him. And I think the question is a good one for us to ask ourselves. Why do we call Jesus Lord and not do the things he calls us to do? Why do we fail at it? Why do we not obey? 
Why do we choose to do the opposite sometimes of what he says, even when we know better? There's three potential reasons. I'm sure there's many more. Reason one, just to be honest, we might be bad trees. It's the hardest of the answers first, that we're not actually connected to Jesus. And Jesus isn't saying this to condemn us, but to get us to run back to him. The other reason is, and these can all be jumbled together too, is that we're, we have disbelief. We, we don't believe in Jesus and what he actually says. We think that, that we like respect what Jesus says. We might say we believe what Jesus says, but, but that's not evidenced by the way that we live our lives and interact with the world around us. That's not evidenced by the way we interact with our families, not evident by the way we interact with our coworkers or our children, but we don't believe. We don't trust that Jesus is in control. So we try to control everything. We don't trust that God is good and that he will take care of us. We don't trust him to satisfy us. So we look elsewhere for all sorts of things to satisfy us. We don't trust God to do justice. So we are vindictive. We don't believe. And why do we call Jesus Lord and don't do what he says? And then I think most simply at its base is that we're sinful and selfish. We like ourselves and our kingdom. And instead of living for the kingdom of God, which Jesus says is a gift to his people now, we live for the kingdom of self. I think that's, this is the question as we ask, how's my heart? So why do I call Jesus Lord and don't do what he says? Where are the areas of my life that are inconsistent with what I say I believe? Where is my integrity compromised? Because integrity is the distance between what you say and how you live. And ask, what's going on in the middle here? Jesus wants us to answer that question after we observe and confess. And then he wants us to obey him because he's out to create not just hearers, but doers. Because if you're just a hearer, friends, you're not actually a follower of Jesus. Jesus' brother James would say it this way, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So that, What James is saying that like if we're just hearers and we say we're followers, we're actually deceived. And he calls us to to obey, to do, to follow after Jesus. You know, we're called to like live truly before him. There's this great um, illustration that a pastor once used that like, what if he like, if, if I call Gavin and I, Gavin up here and I said, Gavin, I really need you to clean your room. And he said, yes, dad, I love you. I'm going to clean my room. And I said, great, son, I love you too. Go do it. And he says, and I go into his room like 20 minutes later and there's still just stuff everywhere. And he says, and I'm like, dude, why why didn't you clean your room? You told me you clean your room. He's like, dad, I was going to clean my room, but I decided I would actually have a study about what cleaning my room would look like. So I gathered up all my four-year-old friends and we said, what would it look like to clean my room? I said, that's great. 
that's great, son. I'm glad you had to study, but I still need you to clean my room. But dad, we actually arranged to go clean other people's rooms in other country. We call it a service trip. And, and we go clean their rooms. That's great, son, but I still need you to clean your room, right? To do what I say. And Christ is calling us to not just be hearers, to not just be studiers, to not just be goers, but to be doers of his word. If we say we're followers and we're not doers, we're deceiving ourselves. And then Jesus gives a story of someone that comes, hears, and does what he says. And he tells a story that we often sing, teach our kids a song that goes with it. He tells the story of a man building a house and digging deep and putting the foundation on Jesus. When the floods and storm come, that house stands secure. And he contrasts it with a person whose foundation is not built on Jesus, and that house collapses. And it's worth noting that at the beginning of Jesus' sermon, Jesus says, has the blessings and the woes, where he contrasts life following Jesus as a life of blessedness and happiness, and a life of not following Jesus as a life leading to destruction. Now Jesus is finishing his sermon here with the same thing. He's contrasting a life of following Jesus, of living and doing what he says, with a life of not actually living and doing what he says. Last week, I began... Um, I love to travel, and I love other cultures and places. I began watching The Reluctant Traveler, um, which is a, like a travel documentary. Um, and Eugene Levy hosts it. If you know who he is, he's on some other shows. And the episode he visited was Lisbon, Portugal. And I found out that Lisbon is older than Rome. Um, had, a, had a whole population there and city. And I, the first question that came into my mind was... Um, well, where, show me the old ruins, right? Like, I've been to Rome. I love the old ruins and all of that stuff. Show me the old ruins. Well, there's not much that exists still because there was, Portugal also sits on a fault line and there was an earthquake and those ruins are basically rubble and they built on top of them because they didn't have code to tell them what to do. In Florida, as you all know, is prone to hurricanes and they've put, put code into place hurricane code that allows them to make sure that their houses stand firm amidst floods and rains and storms and waves. And you can see a picture right here. House on on your left is a house built to code to the hurricane straps. And the house on your right is the house that is not. And this is the picture Jesus is giving us, that if your life is built on the sure foundation of Jesus, your life is like the house on the left, not the house on the right. And if you're building your life on anything other than Jesus, your success, your wealth, your reputation, your family's reputation, your education, whatever it might be, you're building your life on a foundation that is sinking sand. Jesus wants us to build our lives on him because you are whether you like it or not building your life on something will it be jesus or will it be something else because here's the truth friends the truth is that the floods of life will come the floods of life 
will come. They came upon this man. They came upon the man who built his house on the foundation. They came upon the man who built his house um, on the sand without a foundation. The floods came, and those floods can be trials. You can be in every single one of us, whether we want to admit it or not, or no matter how much we try to insulate ourselves from it in our culture, we'll face trials, the death of a loved one, divorce, miscarriage, diagnosis, depression, anxieties, financial struggles, marriage struggles, parenting difficulties, kids that wander from the Lord, temptations, sins, the loss of a loved one. I could go on and on. And if you want a faith that stands, if you want a life that lasts and matters, you build it on Jesus. Because the person that builds, and notice that the words in the text are kind of, they're an ongoing word. They're building their lives. This this is an ongoing process of building your lives, that when you are building your life on Jesus, those storms will come and you will stand. Your faith will stand and you will have a sure foundation to go through whatever life throws at you. You have the flood of trials, but friends, you... There's also the flood of judgment. One day there will be real, lasting, and eternal judgment. Where we'll know whether you're a good tree or bad, whether your foundation was on Jesus or not. And only the one that is on Jesus lasts. And he wants us to look at the fruit of our lives. He's inviting us in his mercy to look at our hearts and say, how are we doing? And he's inviting us to root our lives in him. He's calling us to obey him. So then, we look at our hearts. We see that, man, there's all these inconsistencies in my life. There's all these places where I say one thing, but I'm not actually following Jesus. Where I declare that he is Lord, but I live like I am Lord, where my words don't show forth that God is near. What do I do from here? Well, I would say that the answer is right in the text. It is to come, to hear, and to do. The beautiful thing about the question Jesus asked the crowd and that he asked us is that he's asking us to diagnose our hearts so that we can come to him again. We can come to Jesus. In the six chapters of Luke that we've gone through so far, we've seen a Savior who identifies with the people who know that they need him. We see a Savior who loves not the the religious in crowd, not the people who have it put all together, but the people who know that they don't. And they just come to him anyways and trust that he is good enough to receive them. We see him healing people. We see him doing all sorts of good to those who know they need him. So when you look at your life and you say, man, it's it's a mess. It's a little bit in shambles. What do I do? Well, you come to Jesus because he's exactly the kind of person you came, he came for. Run to him. There's no need to hide. There's no fear that you need to have. Come to Jesus. Then, brothers and sisters, 
hear him say. When you're bearing your sin in your heart, hear him say that he's come to bind up the brokenhearted. When you're battling in your sin and you feel stuck in it, hear hear him say that I've came to give liberty to you and to set you free. Hear the tone of his voice. Whenever you say, Lord, my, my heart is a mess, hear him say, I will heal you and put you together in me. Because the sin that you thought held you back is now the pathway to, to hearing Jesus. So run to him. He is running towards you. Hear your Savior. And then finally, friends, because your Savior sees you when you come to him, isn't rejecting you, but inviting you to him, and because he declares his love for you, And he tells you the right way to live. Friends, do it. Follow him. And watch him turn. A shriveled up tree that we sometimes can be into a tree that bears fruit. Because the good tree is the one who's planted in the soil of Jesus. The house that stands is the one anchored in the person of Jesus. And when you get glimpses of that bad fruit, when you see the the fractures in your foundation because it's not built on Christ, can I encourage you to start back where you started? Come to him, hear him, follow him. And over time, you're going to see good fruit because the Lord delights to bring that in us. And he has given us his spirit to help.